welcome to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg. I am joined by two very good friends of mine who I'm very happy to be talking to today. First, all the way from the 757, we have Ricky LeBlu. Ricky, what's good? I'm mentally drained, <laughs> and it has very little to do with football, but I'm really happy we could get this get this going. Um it's it's obviously been a really good week for tech fans been very enjoyable it's been a bit relaxing i think considering just the the constant up and down with this football program over the off season and i think tech fans were very happy that they could finally just sit back and enjoy a win um because it it, it winning cures everything as we all know and from Northern Virginia, we have the one, the only, Michael McDaniel. Mikey, how you doing, buddy? What's up, guys? Good to uh, see the Hokies win the opener. Good to be one and out. Lots to get to. The game in general, the shorthandedness on the coaching staff, the running game, the offensive line, so much. Plus, we'll preview Duke. But first, I got to let you guys know. The Hokie Hangover Podcast is brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy on South Main Street in downtown Blacksburg will give you the kind of service that you simply can't get from the big chain pharmacies. If you want to be treated like a neighbor and not a number and maybe support someone that donates to the Hokie Club, head on down to Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg. Lord Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Well, gentlemen, two canceled games, a season that had been in jeopardy for six months, lots of question marks, 23 players and coaches out, and the Virginia Tech Hopies opened up their season with a 45-24 to 24 curb stomping of the North Carolina State Wolfpack. Like Ricky said, it's good to just see a smile on everyone's face. The offensive line dominant. Two different quarterbacks played, neither of which was slated to be the starter this season. Mike, I want to ask you first, what were your initial thoughts for Virginia Tech's opening game victory? Brock Hoffman was the immediate, <laughs> the immediate reaction. Um, NC State's defensive line is not as good as it's been in recent years, but they have a really good defensive tackle in Aleem McNeil, and he was totally taken out of this game, and Brock Hoffman was a big reason why. Everybody was talking about how good Brock Hoffman was going to be for Virginia Tech. Um, and, and that was mostly due to the fact that he was a pretty good player at Coastal Carolina, uh, but wasn't really a big-time recruit. So I was a little bit, I don't want to say skeptical. Like, I believed that he would be good. But for him to come out and play the way that he did, it, it surprised me a little bit. Um, I was surprised he was able to just slide right in his first game with Tech and perform the way that he did. The offensive line as a whole outside of Brock Hoffman was really good as well. Um, whoever the quarterback was, whether it was Braxton Burmeister or Quincy Patterson, had time to throw all night long. Um, they weren't in a situation really where they were ever really hurried. It, it didn't seem like – it seemed like they were throwing from a clean pocket all night. And a big reason for that is, A, the offensive line, but B, the running game as well. Um, obviously, Khalil Herbert going for over 100 yards on six carries and having the touchdown run was huge. It was good to see Raheem Blackshear get in the end zone. I know they didn't have a huge, a huge game um, in his first matchup. Um, with the Hokies, but I, you know, he played well uh, when he was in the game and look for all of the, all the questions, right. With the defensive coaching staff, you know, not having Justin Hamilton, not having linebacker coach, Tracy Clays, uh, not having Jermaine Waller out there because of his ankle injury that he suffered in the off season. Like there were some questions on the defensive side of the football. And I thought the defense generally speaking played pretty well. Um, you know, they gave up some, late game chunk plays. Um, Devin Leary came in off the bench. He looked pretty good, but you know, Virginia Tech had built such a huge lead and defense had played well enough to that point, you know, forcing a couple turnovers, six sacks. Justice Reed was really good at defensive end for the Hokies. Um, all in all, just a really, really solid debut. And even the special teams are strong. Brian Johnson hitting three field goals. He hasn't, he now hasn't missed a field goal in his last 15 attempts dating back to last October. So he's been really good. So I, I think all in all, you know, you have to be happy with the performance as a Virginia Tech fan, um, just given everything that they were facing from an adversity standpoint with all the players missing and the coaches missing due to COVID and being able to put on that type of performance 
it wasn't a surprise that Virginia Tech won the game, but how they won, considering who they were missing and how many players were out, coaches were out, it was a surprise that they were able to dominate start to finish the way that they did. To Mike's point, we came into this season thinking that it's going to be a very different type of Virginia Tech team that we had seen in past years. Finding a, a dominant running back, establishing a real running game has been an issue for the Hokies. On Saturday, Virginia Tech comes out with an offensive line that featured Luke Tenuta, who was one of the top performers in the country last week, according to PFF, with Brock Hoffman, who played like an absolute dog and was awarded ACC Offensive Lineman of the Week. Doug Nestor had pancakes. The entire operation looked good, and the running game absolutely let loose. Whether it was the whether it was Khalil Herbert and everything that he did, and we'll talk about him at length in a second, whether it was the quarterback keepers with Burmeister and Quincy Patterson, whether it was a big jet sweep play from Trey Turner, it, it all seemed to work. How, how different is this, and how optimistic does it make you feel going forward? A legitimate running game really kind of changes the, the mindset, I think, for a lot of Tech fans and people that follow the program simply because we, they haven't really had a consistent, legitimate running threat in the entirety of Justin Fuente's tenure. I mean, there have been games where they've looked good on the ground, but as a whole, the offensive line has not been able to generate enough holes. And, and more importantly, the people carrying the football haven't been able to break tackles. And the people carrying the football have not been able to create explosive plays you have to be able to get more yards than are blocked. Your offensive line is going to block a certain number of yards, but as a ball carrier, you have to find ways to generate extra yardage that isn't being blocked. And I think that that's something Tech is finally going to be able to see a little bit with a Khalil Herbert who, even though he's 5'9", 215 and looks like a bowling ball, he can move. Uh, and he, he shows that athleticism that really we haven't seen at Virginia Tech, at least in a few seasons. Um, Trey Turner, I like the fact that they're getting him involved in the running game, especially since they really failed to get him involved in the passing game, just one catch for Turner. Burmeister looked great running the football. Uh, He's definitely shifty. He's definitely fast. He's certainly a guy that you can exploit in terms of getting him on the edge and allowing him to make guys miss because he can do that. And then you even have someone like Jalen Holston who – has been a letdown for his Virginia Tech career uh, by all accounts. And he out, goes out there and averages over eight yards a carry. So this does change the calculus a little bit, in my opinion, for Virginia Tech's offense. It, they have to show that they can do this consistently because we saw NC State give up 30-plus to Wake Forest a couple weeks ago. NC State gives up 40-plus in this game. Um, NC State's bad defensively they're horrible they're they're probably one of the worst defenses in the conference I did not expect this defense to be this poor Um, granted Peyton Wilson did not play in this game he's probably their best linebacker but their defense is horrific so Virginia Tech needs to carry this momentum into, into the next game and I'm not expecting Tech to rush for 300 yards on a consistent basis but they've got to be able to show that they can get yards on first down, get yards on second down, and create those third and manageable situations. And they also have to show that they can bust one uh, for a big play on the ground, something that we didn't really see up until – at least didn't see consistently up until Saturday night. Yeah, and for the start of the game, it was about as good as you possibly could have asked for. The Hokies come out, nice little six-play, 46-yard drive. They can't capitalize on the touchdown. They get a Brian Johnson field goal. Immediate three and out. Again, the Hokies with the big play, three-play, 64-yard drive, up 10 nothing. Then you get the interception, come back, three-play, 33-yard drive. Barely seven minutes into the game, the Hokies with a 17 nothing lead. It, w- it was extremely exciting. And from there, when you have that lead, despite the fact that the offense may have stalled out a little bit for a point in the game there, the defense stood strong all through the first half. When we were talking about this game last week, and 
we knew that Hendon Hooker was unlikely to play. We knew that Braxton Burmeister would probably get the nod on limited practice time, given that he had been in quarantine the week before, just got out, I believe, on Sunday, so six days before the game. Given how much practice time the team across the board had missed, it, it was a worrisome game. But we knew what we had in an offensive line. We had a feeling that this running back room might be the deepest in years. And the game plan had to be run the damn ball, tire them out, and then use that running game to set up a couple big plays in the air. And that's what Virginia Tech did. But I want to look at these quarterbacks. Now, let's start with Braxton Burmeister. Burmeister had, you know, kind of a tale of two appearances there. He comes out, plays pretty well, experiences a hand cramp, which I don't think anyone's ever heard of before. Quincy Patterson comes in, and as the story of Quincy Patterson has been, when he is randomly called on, he delivers. Let's start with Burmeister first. What was your initial impression of Braxton? You know, we haven't seen him on the field since his true freshman year at Oregon. We've heard a lot about him. We've heard that Justin Fuente holds him in near equal regard with Hendon Hooker, the guy who saved the season last year. What were your initial impressions of him, Mike? Yeah, very, very similar to what Ricky just mentioned um, a couple minutes ago. Really fast, really shifty, extremely quick. Like, when he gets to the outside, he makes guys miss in the open field. All of that was as advertised. Um, he was 7 for 11 passing, threw for over 100 yards. He was efficient through the air um, when he was asked to throw. Uh, we didn't really see enough of of enough of him through the air to really make a true determination. But on the 11 passes he threw, I mean, there was nothing that I saw that made me say, Oh my God, this guy can't throw the football at the division one level or anything like that. I thought he, you know, for, for the amount they asked him to throw, I thought he was good. Um, but yeah, I mean, the athleticism was really apparent and um, his command of the offense was apparent and yeah, he played, he played well and did everything they asked him to do. And this was a, this was a running back game for Virginia tech. Um, d- despite, you know, we'll talk about Quincy in a second and how, how well he played with, with the six passes that he threw. Um, but this was, you know, the Hokies ran for over 300 yards for only the third time since joining the ACC in 2004. Like, that's a stat in and of itself. This was a rushing attack game. Braxton Burmeister, Quincy Patterson were obviously both a big part of that. But I was impressed with Burmeister um, overall with his play. Ricky, what were your thoughts? He was good. Um, one thing I did notice is that he clearly is not being given the entire playbook. No. Uh, they, the, the offense that they ran with him in the game was very vanilla, um, specifically the passing game. And I kind of expected that they would have opened it up a bit more for him, considering how high, highly thought of he is within the program. But uh, he has he has plenty of zip on his throws. Um, he's a little erratic, which is kind of the same issue with Quincy Patterson in that regard. But we didn't see, like Mike said, we didn't see a lot of Braxton in order to come to a more fully formed opinion. Uh, but his athleticism was definitely legit. That was on full display. Um, I do like that he didn't turn the ball over. That's obviously a plus. He did take two sacks, um, and for a guy who's as shifty as he is, that's kind of discouraging. Um, but overall, I thought he was definitely a positive for the Hokies. And um, the fact that Tech has two guys off the bench at quarterback who can be productive, that's that's a, a luxury that not many programs have to offer. Yeah, and – I definitely agree with what you're saying about Burmeister, but to an extent, let's factor in that Burmeister had only gotten out of quarantine a week earlier and that, you know, the scheme and stuff generally was going to be limited because of other players that were quarantined because of coaching substitutions and a couple minutes into the game, you're up 17, nothing running the ball is working. It took him six total plays to score two touchdowns. I mean, um, I'm very happy that Tech stuck with the run. I mean, it it would have been very, very uh, normal for Brad Cornelson to get too cute with it 
and and Tech start to lose that rhythm in the run game, but they didn't, and they continued to run the football, and that's exactly what Tech should have done. They they got Burmeister on the outside and allowed him to to make guys miss there. They took advantage of Quincy being able to run the football up the gut and softened up NC State that way. Uh, they found interesting ways to get their other guys the football in the run game, specifically Trey Turner. That's what Tech is going to have to do if they don't trust these guys to run the entire offense. And that was, to me, that was clear that they did not trust these guys to run the entire offense. So they adapted. They they made a good adjustment in, in the sense that they were going to attack NC State on the ground every which way they could. And they did that very successfully. And, and they deserve a lot of credit for that. And that's one of the things I talked about in my postgame column was, Justin Fuente, given the situation that he had, did a damn good job of getting his team ready for this game and also get, not just getting them ready, but getting them ready to kick ass. I mean, they they ran NC State off the field for the most part. I mean, NC State down 17 nothing seven minutes into the first quarter, um, or not even seven minutes, more like five minutes uh, into the first quarter. NC State looked completely dead. Dave Dorn even said that Bailey Hawkman looked like he didn't even want to be there, which is another discussion. <laughs> the fact that Dave Dorn just willing to put Bailey Hawkman directly under the bus. Um, but I mean, they, they, they took the will away from NC state very early on. And besides that, that dry spell late first quarter, early second quarter, um, it was, extremely refreshing i haven't seen tech put somebody uh, put an acc team away like that in a while yeah no it, it was incredible like you know 64 yard drive the, the first touchdown of the game just a burmeister 22 yard run a burmeister five yard run and a khalil herbert seven, 37 yard run the short one after the diablo pick burmeister six yard run they stretch the field a little bit get the ball to james mitchell for a 20 yard pass and then Raheem Blackshear runs it in for eight. It's, it, it, it was such good coaching to keep it simple, and it was perfect execution by both Burmeister as a runner and a passer early on by the running backs and the offensive line. It, it, it was indeed perfect. But An, an absolute to, clinic, Andrew. It was a clinic. It truly, in the beginning there, did not look like NC State belonged on the same field as Virginia Tech. But, Mike, I want to switch things over to Quincy Patterson. Quincy comes in. Four for six passing. He does what he does on the ground, throws a couple touchdowns. The legend of Quincy grows. How, how would you uh, assess his performance? I love watching him throw the fade, man. <laughs> like Quincy Patterson throwing the fade is a thing of beauty. Now, I know he threw that one behind James, Rob or James Robinson. Let, let's, let's start that over. James Mitchell, um, he threw it behind James Mitchell a little bit. He made an adjustment. He underthrew. It looked intentional to Tavion Robinson. Um, kind of a back shoulder type throw there. Um, and Tavion adjusted and made a great catch. And Quincy's really comfortable throwing that pass. We've seen it do it last year against North Carolina. Um, he made a couple of high-level throws um, in the same light to that corner of the end zone. Like, that's his thing. Like, he loves throwing that fade um, to that south end zone corner. And um, he was really good. Like, he ran – I was more impressed with his running than I was with his throwing, even though, you know, he could, two out of the four passes he completed were touchdowns. You know, loosening up the offense, like Ricky mentioned, like, he was able to just run right up the gut and open things up for the rest of the offense. The defense didn't really know it was coming. They were expecting run because that's what Quincy does. But then all of a sudden you have one-on-one -on -one coverage on the outside, and Quincy is an elite – former Elite 11 quarterback. Like, he can still throw a little bit. And um, that, that bared itself out. I, I was really impressed with the way he just kind of came in right off the bench. And he just does this time and time again. Like, he's always ready when called upon in relief. It's, it's pretty remarkable what he's been able to do in a short time at Virginia Tech, the way he's just kind of come off the bench and just made plays for the offense. Didn't really feel like they missed a beat with him on the field in this game. Yeah, and one thing that stuck out to me is, let me preface this. I think Quincy's a really good kid, and he has done everything he can for the Virginia Tech program. But for those of you that are saying, what is this guy doing on the bench? Go ahead and start this kid. I, I think that's a little premature. Now, let's keep in mind, it, it was pointed out to me that basically the entire time that Quincy Patterson was in the game, Virginia Tech was running the ball so effectively that all the receivers were in single coverage. 
So Quincy didn't really have to read a defense. He didn't have to read his own per se, which it is rumored, I, I believe, is one of his weaker suits. And I just think it's Hendon Hooker's job. And though Quincy has been effective, I, I will say, think about what we saw with Lamar Jackson in Kansas City. A guy who is a weaker passer, but a dynamic runner, falls behind 10 points in a game, and you're really strapped to try to move the ball and get back into it. Now, now Quincy coming in and inheriting a 17-0 lead, I, I think that's easy. But I think that as of now, despite the fact that I was really impressed with Burmeister and Quincy Patterson, the starting job is heading hookers until he loses it. Well, let me ask you this, Andrew. So Fuente made it clear that with Hendon and Burmeister healthy, both of those guys were going to play. If all three quarterbacks are healthy, do you think all three quarterbacks are worthy of playing time? I, I don't see why Quincy wouldn't be worthy of playing time, but it, he, you know, four for six on the game, two touchdown passes. It's hard for me to justify this, but I think he is more of a one trick pony and we've only seen him in limited action. Now, remember last year, he barely completed 40% of his passes. Like, I don't, I don't think he's any more of a one trick pony than Braxton Burmeister is, at least from what we've seen thus far. I'm trusting the coach's assessments from two years of watching Braxton Burmeister practice. I think that the story of if Quincy had the arm of Hendon Hooker or Braxton Burmeister, why wouldn't he be starting? There would have to be some grand conspiracy against him, which I have a hard time believing now. Quincy would be the starting quarterback of North Carolina State. He might be the starting quarterback for a lot of AC teams. This is the spoils of the riches, my friend. We have three really good quarterbacks. But I think that you're set on the offensive line. you got a deep running back room. It's not like Hendon Hooker and Braxton Burmeister can't run the ball. And though Quincy might be able to do it more effectively, I, I think that at the quarterback position, don't you have to play the most efficient passer? I've I've been on the record saying that Tech needs to stick with Hendon Hooker and, and, and not do this rotational BS anyway. But if the logic is that it's all dependent on whether you have three quarterbacks who are worthy of playing time and therefore they're all three are going to play, which is the logic that Justin Fuente used in justifying using both Hooker and Burmeister if they're healthy, then I'm going to make the argument that all three quarterbacks need to play if that's going to be the logic because – in my opinion, Patterson was just as productive as, as, as Braxton Burmeister, and we saw him doing less in the offense. So who's to say that if they're going to give Patterson a, a chance to, to do some of those throws into the flat and things like that, who's to say that he can't do that? I mean, the guy's able to throw fades well, and we've seen that consistently. He's shown up in big moments against UNC. He played – somewhat okay against Notre Dame in a really tough situation last season. Um, I, to me, if you're going to argue that Braxton Burmeister is good enough to take away playing time from Hendon Hooker, which I don't think he is, but if you're going to make that argument, which is what Justin Fuente was doing, I think you also then have to say that Quincy Patterson is good enough to take playing time away from Hendon Hooker too. And Ricky, well, to your point too, like, um, and you know, we got to take this with a grain of salt because Virginia Tech only had two healthy quarterbacks for this game. Um, well, and Knox Kadem too, man. Don't, don't <laughs> Knox Kadem. Okay, and Knox Kadem. They had three healthy quarterbacks. <laughs> they had two ready to play quarterbacks in this game. Yes. With that being said, um, Quincy Patterson did mention in the pro in the post game press conference that there was a package of plays for him. And he obviously wasn't prepared or wasn't expecting. I mean, it's, he seemed prepared. He wasn't expecting to play in the manner that he did. Obviously, Braxton Burmeister leaving the game with that hand cramp kind of threw a wrench into things. But for Quincy Patterson to say he had a package of plays that were set aside for him, I wonder if that's going to be the case even with Hendon Hooker also healthy. Like, does that continue throughout the rest of the season where he still has a package of plays? I think I don't think there's any reason to believe that he wouldn't get in the game here and there, um, just given what we've seen just really throughout the last couple of years out of Quincy Patterson. And the fact that he did say he had a package of plays ready for him, that might have been the case regardless of whether or not Hendon Hooker was healthy for this game, but I guess we'll find out. Well, I'll put it this way, Ricky, to answer your question. First of all, I think that 
when Fuente and I, I missed the podcast that we did when you guys commented on this. So I haven't been able to get my point in there. I think that's a lot of coach speak and that you just kind of got to honor the kid for what he did in training camp, hard fought battle for QB one. Do I think Braxton Burmeister is going to get a ton of playing time, you know, just spelling hand and hooker regularly for a drive or two? No, I actually don't think that. In my opinion, it would make more sense to bring in Quincy Patterson randomly at points in a game because he brings a certain dynamism and a certain a different style of play than Hendon Hooker or Braxton Burmeister can provide. That being said, as your quarterback number one, if Hendon Hooker were to go down or if Hendon Hooker were to start randomly underperforming for some point, I'd feel more comfortable having the more proven passer. And yeah, we saw a very limited passing game from Braxton Burmeister, which as I mentioned before, I believe is due significantly to the fact that these guys had such limited practice time due to their COVID quarantines. They had guys out, they had coaches out like credit to Justin Fuente. One of the most impressive head coaching wins you can get, even though it wasn't against a particularly good team. In fact, some would say they're a pretty bad team, but given the circumstances, he did exactly what he had to do as a coach. Everything I've heard from what Fuente says, from what people who I know inside the program have told me, Braxton Burmeister is the superior passer to Quincy Patterson. And I'll trust that, not just because I trust my sources, but I trust that Justin Fuente wouldn't have some kind of grand conspiracy out against one of his highest recruits he's ever gotten. I just think that Quincy has always been a developmental project. He's still young in the scheme of things. Do you worry about him transferring in the long run if he doesn't get PT? Yes, you don't want to be the guy that trains this guy up and then Illinois or something is the school that ends up reaping the rewards of his development. Henceforth, why there's been a lot of criticism towards Justin Fuente about the speed of Quincy Patterson's development. But I can say that from what we saw, it looks like Quincy Patterson's on the right track. And yes, I do expect to see Quincy Patterson play a lot in, in not a lot, but it's play a role in the offense that will bring a different element to it. Now, quickly, let's touch on the wide receivers here. Only a couple of receivers really get into the action. Tavion Robinson, Trey Turner, and Caleb Smith, the three listed wide receiver starters, the only ones who caught passes. They caught five combined. James Mitchell catches three for 68 and a touchdown. Khalil Herbert catch a couple of balls out of the backfield. One goes for nothing. One goes for 46. Do you think that this was a product of now we're up by 17. We're not going to pass it a lot anyway. No need to get a ton of new guys involved who might have just transferred in or, or less experience in the program. Or do you think that maybe this wide receiving core is beyond the starters, maybe a little more humble of a group? Well, I think um, <laughs> we don't have a totally clear idea on who had been quarantined, who had missed practice, that sort of thing. I think we'll see more wide receivers than what we saw on Saturday throughout the rest of the season. Um, Shango Hodge is pretty new to the program. Like you guys will remember, he came in the middle of the fall camp. So it's not a huge surprise to me that he didn't get a lot of burn. Surprised me a little bit. Evan Ferris didn't see more playing time. Uh, but again, like we don't know who's been healthy, who hasn't been, that sort of thing. Uh, the thing that stuck out to me with the wide receivers, um, the, the biggest takeaway for me was that Tavion Robinson played on the outside a lot. And he was primarily a slot receiver last year, obviously taking the job away from Hezekiah Grimsley and kind of emerging in that role as a slot receiver for, for Virginia Tech. And Tavion did line up in the slot quite a bit, but he also lined up outside a ton. And there were a lot of cases, too, where Tavion Robinson was the only wide receiver on the field. And that was interesting to me, too. Like, I would assume that Trey Turner would be the number one wide receiver in a lot of those formations where you only have one wide receiver out there, but it was actually Tavion Robinson in a lot of the cases, at least in the opener. Um, I don't think it really means anything. I, I think it's all personnel based, but I did find it interesting that Robinson's going to be playing a bit on the outside. And he mentioned that, you know, the coaches have asked him to play outside a bit more this year, which is to be expected considering Raheem Blackshear is now in the mix and you're going to want to get Raheem Blackshear out in the slot quite a bit. And Virginia Tech likes to, you know, split James Mitchell out wide, too. So I think it would be good for Virginia Tech to have, you know, Trey Turner 
you know, play both inside and outside and Tavion play both inside and outside and really just have James Mitchell when he's not lining up in a traditional tight end position to line up outside and create mismatches that way against smaller cornerbacks. Um, so I, I think it's clear that Virginia Tech has, you know, and Brad Cornelson, they have a method to what they're doing in the wide receiver room. I wouldn't read too far into them only playing a handful of receivers in this game just because it's game one. Now, if we see this in game two, game three, et cetera, then it's a pattern, and then we can glean more from it. It's just hard to really take too much out of it because, A, Virginia Tech was so focused on running the football in this game, and, B, because it's the opener, you don't know who was healthy. Tech's had a COVID outbreak. Like, there are a lot of other elements here that make it difficult to handicap the wide receiver position after just one game. Yeah, and, like, on top of that – you talk about Tavion Robinson playing on the outside. We'd expect to see him more in the slot. Let's remember that Raheem Blackshear, who received so much praise in fall camp and has been a all big 10 or honorable mention in his career, playing for a abysmal Rutgers team. He's supposed to be a big part of this offense. And we didn't see him a lot, but I think he only got out of quarantine on like Thursday. They just threw him into the mix and he didn't have a great game, but when you're out for 14 days and don't practice, you can't really expect a guy to just hop right back into football shape. So I think going forward, Raheem Blackshear, especially if Herbert keeps running downhill the way he did in the first game. And, you know, I'm not expecting him to average 17 yards per carry every game going forward. That's just not something that's probably going to happen. But if he can do 75% of that kind of production that he gave us, you could see Raheem Blackshear as almost primarily a receiver. The other thing I wanted to mention is, Ricky, to your point earlier, when we were talking about the limited playbook for both Patterson and Braxton Burmeister, at a certain point when, when you're up and you're dominating, if you're Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson, you're going to put some cards back in your pocket and say, hey, maybe we can get away with holding this off for – two weeks from now against North Carolina, a game that's going to be a real challenge. Let's move to the defensive side of the ball though, boys. And by the way, I don't want to totally jinx us by saying that. I'm just saying that, you know, you don't play all your cards in the first week, just like they wouldn't play their cards when they're dominating William and Mary in week one. If they had to, they would. Now defensively, one thing that we talked about on, on the preview podcast for the NC state game was guys who are filling into roles. At that time, we didn't know Jermaine Waller would be out. We did know about the loss of Devon Hunter and that he would be filled in by true freshman Keontae Jenkins. Looking at Breon Murray, I mean, this is a guy who has been underlooked his entire career. I, I was told uh, on my radio program the other day that he had to walk on to his junior college. He was a Juco walk-on. This guy has never received any fanfare. He comes in, plays pretty well, gets the interception, big return. Keontae Jenkins, on the other hand, leads the team in tackles. You never saw a moment in that game where you're like, this kid's getting exposed. Ricky, what are your thoughts? Uh, Devin Taylor was kind of meh. I didn't really like what I saw. Uh, it's extremely early, though, and He's only been in the program for a few weeks, so I'm not going to pass a ton of judgment on him. Tech's DBs were definitely the weakest link of the group. Uh, the defensive line was obviously quite good. The linebackers, I thought, were quite good. Um, we're going to have to see how much of a difference Jermaine Waller makes when he gets back. I'm assuming that would make a giant difference. Keontae Jenkins played pretty well, led the team in tackles. I think that he deserves – some credit and actually something that I didn't notice until after I went back and started watching a little bit of, of, of highlights. Um, it looked like divine Diablo was no longer the free safety. Divine Diablo was playing Rover basically. Now tech isn't calling Rover Rover anymore, which is something that's going to take me a while to get used to because we've ingrained ourselves in the Bud Foster lingo as, as crazy as it is. Um, but Divine Diablo was playing more to the boundary and Keontae Jenkins was on the field side. And um, I think that's actually a good switch because I've always thought that Diablo was kind of more suited to play closer to the line anyway. Now that wasn't something that he could do with Reggie Floyd next to him like last year. Uh, but with a guy like Keontae Jenkins, who isn't quite as big and is a bit more athletic 
um, you can play him out on the field side and have him cover a bit more ground. And then you have a guy like Divine Diablo who maybe isn't as shifty and you give him less ground to cover and all of a sudden he becomes a bit better of a player. So I think that that's something to watch and see if it's um, something that continues to happen. I would guess that it would or else Tech wouldn't have done it in the first place. But um, Devin Leary did kind of pick this unit apart later on in the game. Obviously, Tech was playing a bit of prevent a little bit, uh, so take it for what it's worth. But the secondary, in my opinion, was the worst of the group on defense. Uh, but that's not to say that they were bad because they weren't bad. Yeah, I mean, it, it's in a game like that, it's hard to really pinpoint anyone that did terrible. Now, now up front, Mike, we talk about high impact transfers and Justice Reed just looked like for the first time in a long time, tech has a dominating force on the end. Now I know it's just one game and I, I liked the tape coming out of Youngstown state. You always kind of take that with a grain of salt because you know, it's being played against inferior competition, but nonetheless, Justice Reed comes in two sacks in the debut. This is against a NC state offensive line that, we looked at when previewing this game and said a lot of experience up front. This is the strength of the North Carolina state offense. And that's how they were able to, to run the ball against Wake Forest and run the ball to a degree against Virginia tech. How do you think the boys up front did? Yeah, really well. I mean, justice Reed, I thought played well, Emmanuel Belmar, I thought played well. Um, I thought in the interior, the defensive line was able to create pressure all night. So it wasn't just, as good as Justice Reed was, and he was the he was the headliner. Um, I thought the entire unit played well. Like Ricky mentioned, linebackers played well. I, I did find it interesting. We saw a lot more of Alan Tisdale than I expected. I mean, I, I thought he'd play a decent amount. I knew he'd rotate in with Dax, but Tisdale actually started at linebacker for for Tech, not Dax. Um, Dax did play a good bit, but um, you know, it's clear that Tech's going to be rotating guys into their four-two-five scheme. Uh, so that, that was a bit interesting as well. And um, yeah, I mean, a defensive back, it's kind of hard to give them a full grade without Jermaine Waller. I thought generally speaking, they played pretty well, obviously forced two turnovers, pass rush, a big part of that. Devon Diablo, the really nice interception, Breon Murray uh, basically had the ball thrown right to him. So that's always nice to, to convert those. Um, I thought Breon Murray was really good. Um, as far as Tech's cornerbacks were concerned, he continues to be really good when he gets an opportunity to play, and I expect that we'll see a lot more of him throughout the rest of the season. Um, and, and again, I, I came away really impressed with Keontae Jenkins for a freshman to play the way that he did in his first start. Um, you know, I understand why he's out there. <laughs> he played very well. So, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I guess we're nitpicking. I would say that the defensive back unit was the one that looked, I guess, the most questionable out of the three. Um, but like Ricky said, I think getting Jermaine Waller back will help a lot. And again, I think the defense played well for most of the game and um, really looking forward to see what this unit looks like fully healthy if we do get that opportunity in a COVID environment. Yeah. And the fact that not just Justice Reed, that, I mean, that was very impressive to me to see what he did. And, but the defense as a whole, getting to the quarterback six times, I think that's going to be, massively important when we get down to the stretch of this season where Virginia Tech is playing their premier competition in what would have been the coastal because let's be honest boys if this team is going to sit back and give Derek King or especially Sam Howell all the time in the world to pass without getting any pressure on they're going to nitpick this you know secondary that's not the uh, strength of the team but if you can make those guys uncomfortable, if you can get pressure and then run the ball as effectively as they did on the other side, I, I think that's uh, possibly very good news. I don't want to give too much weight to one game against an NC State team than won one game in the ACC last year, but definitely very encouraging. Last one for you, boys. The scheme in general. We know that we weren't given the opportunity to watch Justin Hamilton's first game as Virginia Tech's defensive coordinator. Instead, it was the 29-year-old Ryan Smith, one of the young coaching stars in college football, the corners coach. He called the game, but using Hamilton's offense, did you see anything different really that stuck out to you or did you think it was more or less a Bud Foster defense? Definitely a lot more zone. 
that was one thing I noticed, and that's something that we expected going in. Uh, the players have talked about it. Hamilton's talked about it. Fuentes talked about it. Tech is going to rely less on man-to-man cover or uh, man-free, as Bud like to call it, um, where guys are just playing one-on-one and, and they're set in the house. The other thing, too, is that it felt like the – the blitz, just, I mean, again, I'm, I'm not a, a football savant. I don't study film on a regular basis. But just from my vantage point, it felt like the blitz packages were a bit more intricate. It felt like Tech was bringing guys from different angles and and shifting their linemen and trying to, trying to confuse NC State's defensive line. That's not something I feel like we've seen a ton of from in the past few seasons. It felt like when when Tech was blitzing, it was kind of clear where the, where the pressure was going to come from. Um, but it, it did feel like that Tech uh, was trying to fool with NC State's linemen a bit, and it worked a few times. Uh, Tech was able to get a ton of pressure. They finished the game with six or seven sacks, and that's something that you want to have moving forward. But I think those were the only two things that really came out to me early on. And it'll be interesting to see if there's any more changes now that um, Hamilton is – uh, it, it seems like he's going to be calling signals uh, for this next game against Duke. Mike, do you have anything to add? No, I think Ricky pretty much covered it. Um, it. It was really just the zone defense was the takeaway for me. It felt like more often than not, the Hokie secondary was in zone. So interested to see if that'll change at all I, I don't anticipate that it will I do anticipate Virginia Tech secondary will be playing a lot of zone but it's just something to keep an eye on especially if Tech secondary is um, you know struggling here and there throughout the year it is going to be a bit of a scheme change in the back end of the defense so just something to keep in mind uh, last thing I'm going to add on that Special teams look good. Brian Johnson, three for three, hit a 49-yarder, four for four on the extra point. Big thumbs up there. Oscar Bradburn continues to do Oscar Bradburn things. Four punts, an average of 47.3 yards. His long was 62. That 47.3 average right now will put him in the top 10 in the NCAA in yards per punt. He remains a candidate for that Ray Guy Award for top punter. Now, one thing I want to touch on is an article that was put out by a sports talk radio host out of the state of North Carolina. And, and can you guys remind me of his name here? Joe Giglio. Joe Giglio. Yes. He did his ACC top 10 where he put the Hokies at number six and said in the little blurb below it, imagine how good the Hokies would look if – all their players didn't transfer or if the ones that were there currently actually liked their coach. I, I think that this is, you know, modern day clickbait journalism at its finest. I found it to be very insulting. What were, what were your guys thoughts? Well, first let's, let's go over the update to this whole story. So Joe actually, corrected his his um, his rankings and changed what he wrote about Virginia Tech. Now, I'm going to pull up the tweet here that announced this. So, um, apparently, this was a thread from Billy Ray Mitchell, who um, obviously founder of Sons of Saturday. Billy Ray he, named him and brought the dogs. Yeah, so Billy put together a thread about his interviews with players and his thoughts on the situation. And Joe tweets, quote, after reading Billy's thread, I should not have characterized the relationship of the current players with Fuente. The problems have been in the transfer portal, not the ones on the team. I have changed my changed the comment to reflect my mistake. Um, and now Giglio's column reads, whatever issues fifth-year coach Justin Fuente had with players leaving the program appear to be appear to have been corrected. Um, it's just lazy. It's just flat out lazy. And this is becoming the norm for too many sports writers. Um, Joe, I respect Joe. Joe is, I think, in my opinion, best known for his uh, bowl uh, projections for the ACC. He understands this process better than just about anybody. 
His, his bowl projections for the ACC are spot on almost every single year. Um, he has really good connections on that, and that's actually the specific reason why I always follow him around bowl projection time because the guy knows what he's talking about. But in this situation, it's just epic laziness of the highest proportion. Um, if you're going to make that argument, at least give a shred of evidence. Like, there, th- 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 you, can, you can make the argument. I think it's a bad argument anyway, but you can at least try and make it. And he didn't even try. And now he has to get corrected by a former player who hasn't been in the program for a few seasons now. And now he just looks like a jackass. So for all of you people out there that like to tweet and like to write like myself, just do some research. Like it's okay if you're going to make mistakes like that, but this one was just epic laziness. And Andrew, you mentioned that it's clickbait journalism. It's not journalism. It's, it's crap is what it is. It's, it's crap packaged into a nice website from a, from a sports radio station in North Carolina. It's absolute garbage. And, and the unfortunate part about it is that the current environment of how news works and how money is made on the internet, it encourages that kind of stuff because at the end of the day, his bosses are probably pretty happy because all the Virginia tech people clicked on that article, read it, and they're making money. So well, you know what? And, and, and this was, this was kind of the, the, the general vibe he went with for the entire thing, like for Virginia, he says, quote, all of those transfers do make me wonder about Virginia's vaunted admission standards, but unusual times call for unusual measures. So, like, this is kind of like the vibe that he's going for, right? The whole, like, snarky, you know, joking routine and trying to talk crap about teams or whatever. But if you're going to criticize or talk smack, you at least got to do a, a shred of research, Um. And he didn't, and now he looks like a jackass. And it's a shame uh, because it did really have Tech Twitter united in in outrage against this guy. Um, and it's a shame because I do think he's a good reporter. And like I said, he his bowl projections are spot on every single season. Um, and it sucks that that's how it is. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just give him a pass because he should know better than this. I, I agree with you completely, Ricky. And, you know, sometimes, like, for instance, when Billy first came at him, his defense was, oh. Well, that was the other thing, too, is that he tried to defend it first, right? So it's not like he said, okay, let me let me look into it. He yeah, spent he the entire day just, just talking smack about tech fans that they didn't know what they were talking about. And then – and then he has to go coming back with the tail between his legs. Yeah. Yeah. That, the thing that's kind of related here also is that Joe is an NC State alum. Uh, so I found that to be guy, interesting. <laughs> found that to be a little interesting. The reality is the guy works in North Carolina. It, the majority of his listenership is going to be Duke, North Carolina, NC State people, and taking broad brush strokes at neighboring ACC teams that he doesn't know anything about is going to make a couple of them smile. But at the end of the day, when you get called out on what you do and then double down and then have to get shamed into apologizing, I mean, quite frankly, boys, it's, it's being bad at your job and it's an extremely bad look on him professionally and personally. Let, let's move things over to Duke now. And Duke, we know, 0-3 on the year. They, they've switched quarterbacks to Chase Bryce, who was Trevor Lawrence's backup over at Clemson. So far for Chase Bryce, for being honest, not so good. I believe he has three touchdowns to six interceptions right now, or am I saying Carson Wentz's stats? <laughs> I got it. I would, I, would, joke. I would say cut that out, but I want to remind people that Carson Wentz has three touchdowns to six interceptions and the worst QBR in the NFL. Excuse me, folks. He has two touchdowns to six interceptions. Uh, uh, it was even worse. Yes, it's even worse. Only completing 51.3% of his passes. Mike, you're all around the ACC guy. Tell us about Chase Bryce and the Duke offense. Well, I think Justin Fuente characterized it correctly. Chase Price is a guy who can make all the throws, um, but he doesn't, right? Like, he's got the arm strength to make the throws, um, but he turns the ball over a bunch. 
Duke is last in the country right now out of teams that have played, so it's 72 teams total. Uh, Duke is last in the country at minus nine in turnover margin. So they're giving the ball away a lot. Breon Murray in the press conference this week mentioned that, you know, when looking at the early film of Duke, he sees a lot of opportunities for the defense, and that's him being polite. Um, that means that Chase Bryce is good to throw them the ball a couple times a game, right? And that's something that we've seen pan out here in the early going of the season. Um, he's turned the ball over a ton. It's a big reason why Duke's 0-3. The problem is that he's the best quarterback they got, right? So I don't think Chase Bryce I, – I do think Chase Bryce will chill out and figure it out. I just don't think it'll be this weekend against Tech. Um, I, I think the Hokies are in really good position here because, you know, they've shown an ability through one game to get after the quarterback and to force turnovers. Duke's offensive front – is not that much better than NC State's, if at all. So I think Virginia Tech will be able to rush the passer once again. Um, NC State's playmakers, at, both at running back and receiver, in my opinion, are better than Duke's. So really, I, I think what we're looking at here is a game that once again looks pretty favorable to the Virginia Tech defense. In my opinion. Yeah, the, the only player that really impresses me on Duke offensively is tight end Noah Gray. I've seen him written in as a potential NFL draft pick. He's a big guy. He can stretch the field, and he's their primary target, leads the team in yards and receptions right now. So I, I think that I guess that there's an emphasis there. It's who's going to cover him and kind of shutting him down. But with Chase Bryce's inaccuracy, I think Virginia Tech's just got to play their game and – force Duke to make the mistakes that at least I believe to be inferior teams in UVA and Boston college. Now credit to UVA's defense, UVA's defense does look pretty good, but they were able to force chase price into their mistakes on the defensive side of the ball. Mike, doesn't Duke have a couple of good pass rushers? Adequate Duke's defense, I think is actually, you know, for as poorly as the offense has played, you know, I think the um, the defense for Duke has hung in there. Um, I, you know, if I'm a Blue Devils fan, I don't think defense is the problem. I, I think a lot of Duke fans are thinking, you know what, if we can figure out a way to not turn the ball over quite as much, I think we're going to give ourselves a much better chance to win. Number one, because you're not giving the opposing offense as many opportunities, but number two, because the defense has held up okay. It hasn't been great. Um, they've been put in a lot of tough situations, but they have enough athletes on that side of the ball. The defense is the better of the two units for sure for Duke. Now, again, not, not great. I think they're 40th in the nation right now. I have 72 teams that have played in scoring defense. So they're middle of the pack in that regard, more or less. Um, but when you consider the fact that they've been put in a ton of precarious situations here through the first three games because of the poor play of their offense, um, I think Duke's defense has hung in there considerably pretty well. Now, if you guys are Justin Fuente and the coaching staff, there's a couple things that I guess you want to highlight. First of all, we know North Carolina, which has been billed as the game of the year, stands one week after the Duke game. You want to prevent that letdown game. To what extent are, are you using the 45 to 10 smackdown that we saw last year, the low point maybe in this program's at least recent history in terms of the mood of the fan base. Luckily it turned around pretty quickly after that, but to what extent do you use that as a motivating factor? Do you like throw that on them? Do you have 45 to 10 hung up in the locker room all week or do you kind of have them treat it like it's any other game? I mean, the coaching staff's not going to have to remind these guys what happened there. They know damn well what happened last year. And that's why I, I, I know Mike, you, you, you sent out a tweet being sarcastic about this being like the biggest trap game on the schedule. And some people thought you're being serious. Oh, my replies were an absolute bloodbath. Right? It's like, guys, he's joking. There's no way this is a trap game. Tech is not overlooking this game. One iota. Virginia tech got absolutely embarrassed last season by Duke. They looked like a, an FCS team. Virginia tech looked lost. They looked, uh, they looked absolutely lifeless in that game. You think that all those players, which most of them are back, you think all those players aren't ready to kick Duke's ass in this game? I mean, they're ready to put Duke in a coffin. So there's zero chance that you have to you have to try extra to get Tech's guys motivated for this game. I wouldn't I wouldn't harp on it if I'm the coaching staff because you don't really need to. 
but there is zero chance that this that this group of players is not going to come in ready to play. I obviously know that the, the, the UNC game has been thought about for the entire offseason because of how good they're supposed to be. But if you're Virginia Tech, there's there's business to settle. There's a score to settle here. Um, and it would not shock me if this game gets chippy, considering the fake punt last year late in the yep, game. Yep, I was just about to bring that up. It, it's the, the, There's a chance that this does get pretty chippy, and – uh, there, I don't, I don't know if there's going to be any love lost between these two teams after this is over, which is surprising, considering how much praise we've seen Justin Fuente heap on David Cutcliffe in the past. Now, from a pure X's and O's standpoint, I'll, I'll say the thing. I mean, I want to see a big win, but I want to see these guys in the defensive backfield really take advantage of Chase Price. Now, we know that that North Carolina State quarterback room might be among the worst in the ACC, and they were able to get two picks off of them. Chase Price hasn't looked much better. I want to see them continue to take advantage of maybe more erratic, perhaps inferior quarterbacks in this conference. Because with Sam Howell coming up next, I don't want to be sitting here next week and say, well, their strength matches up pretty well against our weakness. So I, I want to see a big game from that defensive backfield. Outside of that, is there anything you guys would be looking for in particular? I think on, on my end, the only, the only thing I'm going to be looking for is how does Virginia Tech build on the success they had in week one? And Virginia Tech, over the last few years, it's, it's been kind of up and down in regard to how the team handles success. And look, NC State's not a very good team. It's not like this was a huge win in, in week one from a like point spread standpoint where like Tech was this underdog and they beat a really good team. That's not what happened, right? It was all about the adversity I faced and stuff like that. But I just want to see how Virginia Tech builds on the success because now people are paying attention to them, right? They look like a, a good team, obviously running for 300 yards, no joke. Second in the country right now, 8.53 yards per play. That's no joke. I'm curious to see how Virginia Tech builds on the success in week one. So that's just kind of a macro thing I'll be watching in this game because Virginia Tech's a much better team. They should win this game handily. Ricky, you got anything? Yeah. uh, I want to see the offense open it up a bit more, specifically through the air. I want to see them try and diversify their passing attack a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that if Hendon Hooker's healthy, that will happen. Uh, that'll come just by happenstance because Hendon is a bit more experienced with the offense. But um, if for some reason Hendon it hasn't really picked it up yet and, and, and he's kind of struggling, we're probably going to see an offense similar to what we saw against NC State. And while that might work against Duke, they're going to have to step it up and they're going to have to be a bit more versatile on offense. They're going to have to be a bit more complex uh, because when you start to play these better teams, basic concepts only work, but so much. I certainly agree with that, Ricky. And you kind of laughed at the idea of this possibly being a letdown game, but kind of to Mike's point, and I don't think it's going to happen. I think tech will win handily, but you know, after the big Florida state game, you lose to ODU. Even dating back five years ago, you beat Ohio State, you lose to East Carolina. It's kind of just something that we as tech people have gotten used to. And to just come out strong out the gate and keep that momentum rolling into the big game will be something that I'm really looking for here out of Virginia Tech. Okay, fellas, let's get to our ACC picks for the week. Last week, gentlemen, we all picked Pitt minus three. And Pitt won by three, so that one's a wash. Outside of that, Mike went three and two. He correctly picked VT Miami and UVA. He missed out on Boston College and Georgia Tech. Ricky was two and three. He got Duke, BC, and Georgia Tech wrong. I got the Virginia Tech game wrong. I thought that would be much closer than it ended up being just because of all the COVID circumstances. My pick with Texas State, though, That got it for me. That 18-point spread took Boston College. It was much more difficult than an 18-point victory. We'll put it at that. The big celebration in the locker room, probably not what you'd expect for Texas State. But let's see what's going on 
this week in the ACC. Before we do that, I'll remind you guys that the Hokie Hangover podcast is brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy, the best pharmacy in the whole New River Valley. If you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you, head on down to Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. All right, we got some fun FCS big spreads that can throw this thing off pretty badly. Campbell, 0-3, travels to Wake Forest, 0-2. Wake listed as a 33-point favorite. Oh, I was, I, was, I was fully comfortable with picking Wake to cover the spread, and then you said 33, and as Mike can attest to, my, my face just went to pure agony when I heard that line. Um, I don't know, man. Wake is, Wake is not good, clearly. Uh, I don't know Jack about Campbell. 33 points is quite a lot. Um, I'm going to take Campbell to cover that. I don't think that Wake is going to beat that team by 33 just yet. They've got too many kinks to work out. Second, doing my research on Campbell for one second. Give me Campbell. Give me Campbell. I got uh, Campbell. eh, Who knows? All right, Mike, it's 33. What do you got? Campbell. All right, we all go with Campbell. Okay, another one. Florida State, a 26-and-a-half-point favorite hosting Jacksonville State. What do you guys think? Here's another game that, I don't know. What's the spread on this one, Andrew? 26-and-a-half. 26. I'll go ahead and take Florida State. Um, I don't know. Florida State can't be that bad, can they? I mean, they can't be that bad. I'm going to take Jacksonville State. Oh, Oh, wow. Jumped you. I jumped you. Look at that, Jacksonville (laughs) State. I'm taking them. I'm going with Ricky, Florida State. Okay. The Wahoos travel to Clemson, where they are 28-point underdogs. Who you got? Well, since Dabo Sweeney is clearly preparing to play uh, Steve Young this week, I should probably go ahead and pick Clemson. Uh, Clemson's going to put Virginia underground, more than six feet under. It's going to get ugly. I'll take Clemson. I don't really care what the spread is. Mike? I'm taking UVA. I'm on an underdog train here because Clemson hates covering big spreads, boys. They hate it. They hate it. And I am going to go with UVA as well. All right, North Carolina on the road, Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts, where they are 14-point favorites against Boston College. Ricky, who you got? EC with the points. Um, I, 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 yeah, BC with the points. Mike? BC with the points. I'm on that as well. I'll also go BC with the points. All right, Pitt's hosting NC State. Pitt, a 14-point favorite. Pitt, NC State's awful. Um, even if Devin Leary gets a start, I'm still going to go with Pitt. Pitt's actually not bad. Mike? When you have an offensive line that struggles throughout the course of the first handful of games of the season and then you face the best defensive line you've seen so far, it's not going to be a good time. Pitt wins bigger. Hit across the board, gentlemen. All right. Last but not least, the Hokies, a 10-and-a-half-point favorite on the road in Durham, North Carolina. Who you got? Uh, I'm going to go with Tech uh, to cover. That's probably not wise. I certainly wouldn't bet that spread, but given what they were able to do with NC State, I think NC State and Duke are roughly similar in terms of talent. Tech's probably going to get some players back. Um, I think the Hokies can certainly cover the spread. The, that atmosphere is going to feel really weird because Duke's, the, the way Duke Stadium is, it's just going to be really, really quiet, really weird. I'm going to go ahead and go with Tech to, uh, to cover the spread, though. Michael? I think Tech wins and covers. I don't think this game's that competitive, guys. I think Tech, very similar to how they played last week against NC State. They jump out to an early lead and never look back. When you think of the revenge factor, too, I, I just think there's too many things going in Tech's direction here. 
plus you're probably going to get Hendon Hooker back. You're going to likely get some of your coaches back. Um, I think things work in Virginia's text direction here, and I like the Hokies to win big. I picked against the Hokies last week. I was wrong. I will not do it again, and I'll probably actually bet on the game. I got the Hokies to cover. I got the Hokies big, God willing. That'll be true. That's going to wrap it up for us here at the Hokie Hangover Podcast. We will catch you guys next week. We'll recap the Duke game and preview the all-important matchup with the University of North Carolina and their potentially Heisman candidate quarterback in Sam Howell. At least that's what they say. I am Andrew Alex. Mike, Ricky, you got anything to say to the people before we go? Um, leave us a review on whatever app you use to listen, share it with your friends, um, tweet at us if you want to see some koozies. Apparently that's uh, something that's in the works. Um, if you want to start a GoFundMe to get Mike a new mic because his shit the bed here at the end of the pod, that's, uh, that's, yep. something, that's something that could be arranged too. Uh, but no, nah, enjoy the weekend. It's certainly glad to get some football. Uh, Lord knows if you watch the presidential debate on Tuesday night, you need some football to heal your soul. Yeah, enjoy the games this weekend. There are a bunch of good ones outside of this tech game. There are a bunch of really good football games on this weekend, so go enjoy this. Yep, gentlemen, have fun. Be safe. We'll catch you next week. And as always, go home. Go home.